Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. We don't need a couple of pints of Marinko's if we can buy it ourselves and put it on the show account. Right. The show account is four things like Marinko's, and it's four things like the Wells Fargo tickets. Yeah, if, if say, you were sending your son on a scouting field trip to, yeah. find, to try and find material for the show, right. bring his adult son. Yes. Right. So that would, you know, yeah, we, that's, we, the we, show account is for that, yeah. even though it was very nice very of nice some job. executives at ESPN to pay for these tickets. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. But we could have paid for them. Yes. You treat so, me like a child. You are a child. You <laughs> I'm 36. You're my child. <laughs> the Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. You went. We're going to get to this in a second. You, I want to do some Lots open to report. Stuff. But yeah, I want to talk about Sergio and I want to talk about the Wells Fargo and all of that. The course, surprisingly hilly. Oh, it's very... You've played it. Oh, yeah, I have, it's but I've never caddied the course as I carry a three-year-old on my shoulder yeah, for the entire afternoon. It's pretty hilly there. From here, Adam Perlman in Boston. You recently spoke about your love of New Balance shoes. I did, totally unsolicited. I mean, they're just great. I'm wearing them now. Yeah. My wife, Kira, works there. She's a higher-up, and while I don't quite understand what she does, I'm sure she can get you a box of that. <laughs> Please respond with your size and color preference. I'll see what I can do. Also, I have a 55-gallon fish tank. We'll, we'll just get <laughs> we'll to that. Hold on to that. And another thing... I um, drive by that factory, I think. From Bill in Ellicott City in Maryland, and I have not read this yet. Nigel says it's lovely, and I should read it. It's long, and I will. Thank you, and Nigel, and Michael, and many more for the 30 years of stinking up my car with your voices, as you and the gang have been accompanying me on my commute for most of my adult life. In late May of 1992, when you hit the airwaves with a barely audible WTEM, I started listening then <laughs> to a new type of sports radio that did not insult my intelligence or lack thereof. You and your cohorts have accompanied me and helped me through the many ups and downs of life, including my single days, marriage, three feminine children, the recent death of my dear beloved mother. I've laughed and cried along with the crew who, for some reason, I consider friends despite never having met any of you. Well, I did briefly help Coach Michael at a summer Sunday morning hockey clinic in the mid-90s and noticed his father sitting in the stands reading the paper. Your lives are intertwined with mine, as I fondly recall Maggie and her love of trash cans and eating your London fog coat, Chessie and her appetite for Frisbees, your children and now grandchildren like Liz, my middle daughter, will be attending GW in the fall. Sorry, Michael. The birth of Spike and Ike, I still laughed at Gary's card he wanted to do at the time. Happy New Rears. The amazingly talented <laughs> Littles, who are now a great part of the show, and many more. I miss the regular cohorts, Liz, Jeannie, Edith, Tori, etc. <laughs> Hope you can have the gang back on soon. We try to do that. We try to, yeah. you know, salt them in, pepper them in, you know, intersperse them. And I love all the guests from Anne Sai when she likes a movie to Bob Ryan's phone and the annual agent that a nine over an eight is not an upset. Phil's mom's enduring picks, tracking Pat Forty's daughter in the Olympics to Tim Kirchin's love of baseball and avocados and the health of Jason's dog, Copper. I came to D.C. in the late 80s to Ameri uh, attend American. Shout out to D.A. and immediately liked your sports column. I was spoiled growing up in the Boston area, Dedham, not Rivera, <laughs> and read what I considered the best sports section, the 70s and 80s Globe. Sure, absolutely. The, the post-sports section rivaled it back then, and you were a big reason. My Sundays were not complete without your style section column. It was like nothing I'd read before, and its intelligence and humor instantly hooked me. I was thrilled when I heard you were going on the radio. I've been a loyal listener since day one. Words cannot express how much I've enjoyed the show, learned from it, and how much it means to me. In a time when we feel so disconnected, you've connected with so many and on multiple levels, and I can only say thank you and a hearty lachiserie to all. That's really quite nice. It's very lovely. Thank you, Bill. It's what we try yeah. for. I mean, we try, we try not to insult your intelligence. You know, we try for a show that is smart and funny. 
I mean, again, I've said this a thousand times. I'll forgive anything for smart and funny. I have a lovely George Millet wrote a beautiful note and just sent the Look loveliest that. painting. That's fantastic. Just the loveliest painting of crown pride as a yearling. And he writes, I hope this note reaches you before you talk to Andy Beyer about the Derby, which we will do later in the show. Below is a rough rendering of Crown Pride as a yearling painted with watercolor and sea salt. Not really. <laughs> Last time I checked, Crown Pride was somewhere around 50 to 1 to win at Churchill Saturday. There are no speed figures on him because he hasn't run in the USA. I love how his handlers are bringing him along. In the mornings before he gallops, they put him through dressage exercises, cantering and trotting in circles, also doing transitions. I've never seen this done with a racehorse. I love it. The horse's brain is being, being employed, not just his well-muscled body. He may get dusted like winners of the UAE Derby always do in the Kentucky Derby, but I'll be rooting for him. The great thing about his training is that Crown Pride will be able to get another job when his racing days are complete. Our wedding invitations haven't gone out yet, but the ceremony will be October 15th at Bethany Beach. We don't need a toaster. I got a toaster. <laughs> we don't need a toaster, revolution or otherwise. We'd just be ecstatic if you came and had a drink with us. Oh, I started to count the outlets in our kitchen when I realized the island is positively thick with them. I lost count. There were a gazillion of them. It's a humble brag. No, no, it's just a lovely, lovely painting, isn't it? It really is. Congratulations. Yeah. We have the two of the greatest makeup artists in the world on PTI in what we call the old days before COVID. We have Renee and we have Jackie. And Jackie got married. Jackie got married to Oliver. Ollie, as everybody calls him. But Jackie didn't just get married. Jackie's just sent out a card with a picture of Ollie and Jackie, February 9th, 2021. She didn't tell anybody. <laughs> didn't tell me, anyway, for over a year. It was just a few months ago. For over a year. Dear friends and family, we're happy to announce that we got married in a private ceremony at Sunset Beach, North Carolina, on February 9th, 2021. While you were greatly missed, we are grateful for your love and support. Love Jackie and Ollie. That's right. Just said they're going to do it. I got a toaster for them. <laughs> Are you sure this isn't like the email that you just find a year late? No, I just got it. it Was just it came an to email file? It just came to the house. And some people did know, Tracy, and never told me. Did you Never ask? told me. Well, how would I know to ask? Any updates? Yeah. You know. Anybody getting married? Yes. So, yeah. All right. So the Wells Fargo tournament uh, starring Rory McElroy and others. And Sergio Garcia in one of his last tournaments in the United States. <laughs> For the time States, being. Apparently. Yeah. Um, went off yesterday. Micah, you went, you went with the whole family. Tell us all about it and tell us about the Sergio. So this was a reminder for me as to the power. I mean, I'm a golf fan. I've grown up being a golf fan. But when you have access to a local tournament to try and make an effort to get out there, uh, the weather made it sort of look like yesterday was the best day. And uh, for me, my, my boys are almost five and almost three. This was more about dad taking his boys to a golf tournament. Liz was happy to oblige. Uh, you know, I, I joked that I was carrying Henry, but I was happy to carry Henry. And for me, I love using the phrase looking forwards and backwards. I'm seeing my boys tumble down the hill from the ninth, uh, you know, the ninth green where they were eating goldfish up to the tee box. And I'm thinking about junior interclub matches that I played there. I'm looking back on the first tee, explaining to the boys and to Liz, when you played in the, uh, in the Wednesday Goes to the right <laughs> for what was the Kemper Open and how sort of nervous we were. And then again, when you got to play with John Daly a year or two later. So it's, it's this weird blend because it's not the Kemper, but I feel like I'm reliving moments from the Kemper. I'm not sure if you remember this. I think one of the first tournaments you took me to was the Kemper. Sunday morning, we went out early. We wanted to see the early groups. And you being you, we post up by the practice green uh, in between the first hole and the range. And I believe the player was Ronnie Black hitting bunker shots. And you just say to him, I can't ever get out of the sand. This is 20, 20 
plus years ago. And he yeah. goes, hey, here's a little lesson. He stops during his practice session and gives you a bunker lesson. We follow him for six holes. So that's the, that's sort of the, what you're thinking as you look back. And I'm, and I'm just, I was very happy to take the boys. We ended up running into Claude, Claude Jennings, a Great. golf DMV, a good friend of ours. And he texted me earlier. He said, I'm taking Manny out of school. We're going to go see Ricky. Ricky's his kid's favorite player. And to see how excited his boy was to follow, to run after Ricky's group uh, is everything about getting out there. So, uh, you know, we were only there for a few hours. The, the boys don't really have the stamina, but it's, it's, I think people know, even from just watching, they, they try and, you know, uh, spread the wealth. So you have the morning wave had, had Rory. We didn't get to see Rory. We saw some of the people coming off of that morning wave. But the afternoon, you have you have a super group with Jason Day, with Ricky Fowler, and with Max Homa, who who is one of the biggest names in, in golf social media and has become a, and has become a winner as a right. So you you're getting to see those players, which really is the future of the PGA Tour, as we're sort of thinking about the strength of the tour. And in the group ahead of them, you have what could be the sort of the past of the PGA Tour in Sergio still a very recognizable name um side note liz liz is looking at this she goes there's about 30 people walking the fairways with each group when it, when it comes down to the scores to the guys doing shot links to the caddies to the various officials and we then went home and watched it on tv to watch sort of the end of it and it's it's amazing how they can isolate on the player and you sort of get lost in just the that that sort of long shot but uh, uh you want to get to serge or to sergio right yeah, so I didn't see this live. We are in the car driving out. I see it on replay. Uh, he is on the tenth hole. This this tenth eleventh triangle is part of the the floodplain that they've had to redo number of times. So it, down left there is a what looks like uh, wetlands. There's a, there's yeah. long grass. There's creeks. But the entire length of that is the penalty area. He tries to take out three wood to keep it in play. He cranks it left. Uh, and the ball lands, you see it on TV, it lands about 12 yards away from a spotter just to the left of it. But it becomes an issue as he's walking down the fairway as to when would it become reasonable to, say, begin your search. Now, in golf, everyone tries to say, look without looking. You, you, if you can try within reason to get a few extra seconds, and that's the difference between, say, having to take that uh, the penalty or not, that's sort of the wiggle room of golf. But uh, it, it becomes to the question as to the official starts the clock on what Sergio seems early. And the camera work of this is beautiful. You have an isolated Sergio on the other side, sort of lost in this creek as he looks defeated. See on the left side? He's the on creek. the left side, yep. and he is just muttering under his breath, I can't wait to leave this tour. <laughs> right. Uh, it's literally, he's, he's taking his golf club, slamming the trunk and going home. I can't wait to leave this tour. And then he just doubles down. He's like, it's only another couple weeks. I mean, it's like yeah. he wants everyone to hear him. He wants everyone to know he's going to the Saudi Golf Tour, where you get guarantees, where the tournaments are 54 holes, where there are no cuts, and he's going to make a pile of dough because he is an international star. And it's also not star. anchored in the United States. Right. He's an international star. He's not from here. And I know my, my immediate question is, now, he's won the Masters. It's the only major he's ever won. But Sergio Garcia has been a star. He's been a star for a long time. He's been a star almost as long as Tiger Woods has been a star, and their careers are intertwined. Tiger Woods has all the majors. Sergio only has one. Sergio spit in the cup. There's a lot of things that Sergio has done which have According angered. According to Sergio, Tiger was protected. Right. Sergio was vilified. That's you have right. the regripping, regripping at Beth Page. So there's a there's a lot of stuff with Sergio. Um, but to not consider Sergio Garcia a major star would be a mistake because he is a major star. He may not be as liked as he could be or should be, but he's a major star. Well, he's leaving. He's going to the Saudi tour. Okay, when he says only two more weeks, my question would be, why don't you just get out now? 
Uh, just get out now. You've got enough money. You've got international endorsements. You, you know, for many, many years, you're the only Adidas guy out there. I mean, get out now. You can't possibly need the money. So that's the part I don't understand. So how about this? He's on the first page of the leaderboard. He had the most memorable shot yesterday. He holed out for Eagle. So this is what's great. The PJ Tour, by looking at the talent it has, by mining for, for details, after that outburst, they are replaying that everywhere. That yeah. becomes the, They're putting that on their Instagram feeds. But, of course, that help, that's helping their tournament. I would say, simultaneously, it's, it's helping the brand of Sergio and where Sergio wants to take that brand. And it's also creating a little bit more buzz for that golf league as they're trying to get more players. If you get, if you get the name like Sergio, maybe it becomes a little bit easier for one or two more players. Again, Greg Norman mentioned that maybe there's like 50. 15 of the top. He said there was 30% of the top 50, and if you do the math, it's 15. Yeah. So you, maybe it makes it a little bit easier. Uh, Sergio's a big uh, – I think they will get mostly international people because most of their stuff's going to be outside the country. Yeah. Uh, so this was wild to watch it unfold. Uh, it does not – say, take away from some of the small moments. We were up by the first tee. I got to see uh, a, a local, a now local golfer, Greg Odom Jr., a yeah, Howard from Howard, tee off. And to see the support that was swelling around that first tee was something special. And to it's see another local guy, uh, Danny McCarthy, shot 67. Near the lead, yeah. So um, it'll be interesting to Taught see. Taught by how, Bob Dolan. It'll be interesting to see how they get this tournament in uh, because of the weather that's moving through the course today. Yeah. Uh, you, you sort of wish that you were that... Thursday afternoon, Friday morning wave, just so you can get your two rounds in before it gets pretty done. But uh, thank you for uh, thank you for sending us out on that scouting mission. Uh, the report is Walker enjoyed a hot dog. Yeah. Um, the porta potties are terrifying for the under five <laughs> set, which is understandable. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't look like any potty you've ever seen at school or at home. So there you have it. Big crowd. I would say a very manageable crowd. Again, this is this is not a major. This the Wells Fargo is a big tournament, but it's a third. It's a work day. It's still school day, so uh, I assume you had a lot of people want to get out early because they're looking at that weather. But no, it's manageable. It was it was big to follow. You know those those back to back big groups, but you could post up anywhere and see some really interesting golf. Matt Kelleher allegedly going on Sunday to that. Oh, nice. So that would be nice. I've spent a lot of time in my life at Avenel. Um, it's too long for me. It's way too long for me, but it's. I always, I always sort of liked it. I liked it better than Greg Norman liked it. Greg Norman <laughs> said it should be blown up. Yes, that he did. The original ninth hole should be blown up. So is that what we did? Where we did the show early oh. in, in my tenure? Where, you, where they no, had that was the, congressional. that's congressional pool? Oh. What was I, too hot? So I also we're walking <laughs> it's in. Too hot. I told Liz the story of the pool where you had to bring you out an air conditioner. Yeah, <laughs> it was brilliant. It had to be set up right by my feet. Air conditioning it was just. Yeah, that was way too much. Yeah, way too much. I played golf yesterday. I went out early in the morning. I was in the first group, Al Serafino and myself and Barry Roth. Three, three and three fast players. Fast players. You know what I want to do, Michael, by the way? I want to get a new driver. Great. I want to get that sim driver. Barry Roth was killing it. Okay. He was killing it. Delmar will help you. He'll, he'll give yeah, you a Yeah, I fitting. want Steve Delmar to help me. So, because I got shop credit. I want to just. You have to use it before the end of the year. I'm yeah. going to use it. I'm I can gonna... only go through so much of yours. Yeah. <laughs> I got some left. I think like $12 or something like that. So we go out and we play and we are fast players to begin with. And we all were hitting it okay. I mean, we were not looking for balls for any length of time. And by the way, when you're fast, you don't look for balls for any length of time. You drop a ball and you move on. We finished 18 holes in two hours and 40 minutes. Wow. If I could do that every day of my life, I would do that every day of my life. It was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Had a few pars. Not many. Although I did well on the par threes. How'd you do in the bunkers? Did you use that Ronnie Black lesson? (laughs) 
<laughs> the first bunker I was in, I shankopotamused a wedge. Did it get out at least? On number five. I was in for three and then, then put it in my pocket. I just said, I'm done here. Give me an eight. Give me an eight. <laughs> Walk into the T. Uh, the next time I was in was number seven, and I was in for three. And I just said, give me a seven here. When you see the ball going into the bunker, does your heart start racing because you just know I'm not getting out? I did what, you know, you told me lower your left shoulder. I, I just don't, I hit the ball. I don't. Get under the. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm. I try, and then one. Then one. Every once in a while, I get out. I hit it so hard that it bangs off the side, kicks up in the air, and rolls out. I, I'm a very, very bad sand player. Very bad. The rest of me is okay. I'm a very bad sand player. Could you help me? I've offered for years. I'd say I, I've tried to level your shoulders. Next step for you is we're going to play with more of a square face, a little bit back of the stance. We're going to try and get you to steepen it just by that rather than some of the contortions that you're describing. It's just awful. It, and can you fix my phone? Like, sure. Yeah. You still have people pinned for the messages, right? You and Liz are like, you're in a circle. and, and Ooh, I'm in the circle? I don't really understand what's <laughs> happened. This is so common for me. I don't understand. It's like, and it all happens all the time. You know, I call somebody up and I go, I have to make a payment. They go, well, you know, you can do this online. Oh. I said, I don't know how to do it online. Yeah, just... That's why I'm calling you. I'm old. Right. How old are you? Oh, you're not that old. Yeah, I am that old. So anyway. All right. Uh, let's get to the show, right? We have um, Brian Windhorst. We have Andy Byer. Andy Byer is going to pick a derby winner for us, which is great. And so we will be back with Brian Windhorst in a bit. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a singer named Jesse Rubin. Hallie Brooks sent us this, says, I do PR for an up-and-coming singer-songwriter from Brooklyn named Jesse Rubin. With more than 50 million streams, national television appearances and placements on more than a dozen TV shows, he's rapidly gaining a strong, dedicated following. I don't understand any of that. He's also apparently involved in philanthropic endeavors. He's the founder of the The We Can Project service learning program that has reached more than 500,000 students. He's run eight New York City marathons for charity, including five for Lyme disease research. Wow, he had Lyme disease. He was out for three years doing that. Yeah, that'll take you down. Lyme disease, awful. Yeah. You don't a, even know what's going exactly, on. Exactly, yeah. This is called This Is Why I Need You. Uh, we will talk about Jesse Rubin as well later in the show. This Is Why I Need You. It plays in Brian Windhorst. Full disclosure, it's 7.35 in the morning in the east, so where Brian is, it's... 6.35 in the morning. I assume you're at home. Are you doing this? You're getting up for the Get Up show, I'm going to assume. That's what you're doing this morning? That would have been a nice story. And I've done Get Up as early as 5 a.m. local in these playoffs because I was in Phoenix. But, right. no, if you want the truth, I'm home for two and a half days, and i got to get my hair cut at 7 a.m. Oh, so, like, this okay. Is, this, is, this, is how I, this is how I got a roll when I'm on this, in this playoff life. 
No, I understand that because you're on call all the time. I was, am I crazy? There were no games last night. I was very surprised by that. We are now stuck to do a PTI show without a guest today because we've already had three guests this week and they've been great. But now on a Friday, and I, you know, I loathe talking about the NBA exclusively. And now I wish I could. And there were no games last night. We've got to do five different stories with no games. How did that happen? What about a protracted segment on the New York Mets? Well, we're gonna we're gonna definitely do the Mets and and the comeback. You know, the seven runs in the ninth. But I mean, how, how did the NBA? They were moving along at such a nice clip to a night. What, why did this happen? I don't know. I've never seen this before. Um, it's also odd that the two series on Wednesday play Friday, and the two series on Tuesday go till Saturday and uh. it looks like the networks are flipping are flipping it because they want different games on Saturday and Sunday than they had last week. Um, I don't understand why historically in this spot, they, especially when there's so many games in the central division, as there are uh, this time, they would have split the series is um, and figured out a way to do it. But yeah. I don't know. It, it also, may come down to how many dates Turner has and how many dates ESPN is owed. Um, it's all high-level stuff, but long story short, no games on a Thursday night. You didn't like it, Tony, but I sure as heck did. No, and I understand that. So now we're, we got hockey, and I don't know anything about hockey. The PTI show, I'm just going to warn people. <laughs> it's going to be uh, just one of the people on the PTI show is going to be a moron today. Uh, I don't know. we got to do something creative. Can I creative. Just say, yeah. real quick, during this uh, playoff run, I spent some time in Phoenix, and I visited the Wilbon Estate in Scottsdale. Castle Wilbon, Castle Wilbon, and North Scottsdale. Don't confuse it with Scottsdale. Oh, it's the temperature it's is north. much different. North Scottsdale, it's north, buddy. It's, yeah. it's so far north you can't believe you're still in Arizona. But <laughs> let's just let's just have a moment and have a cheers to Mr. Wilbon. The man, the man lives well. That's all I'm going to yeah. say. Oh, there's no question about that. And he and nobody loves being who he is more than <laughs> Michael Wilbon loves being Michael Wilbon. He does. You know, it's you wonderful it right. for him. And he refuses, by the way, it's such a snob thing. He never says, like when he when he refers to where he is, he never says Phoenix. Never. He'll say Arizona, he'll say North Scottsdale, he'll say out here in the desert. He never says Phoenix. Phoenix must be low rent, right? <laughs> Brian, Phoenix well, must be low rent. Well, I, that's all fine, and you can say that, and, and you could be true about that, but have, I have to say, it's a long way from downtown Phoenix up there. It is. I was very no. happy to go, and we watched playoff games, and he hosted us, and it was wonderful. We watched the sunset off the back, uh, desert sunset there. But it's a long way from downtown Phoenix, just... Just so, just so you're planning your, uh, your, your, your travel time uh, to and from uh, uh, Suns games. Let me tell you, it's not a short trip. No, I agree with that. Having, having been to where he lives a couple of times in my life, you, you need a passport. It is a hike. It's 45, 50 minutes. It's, it's you don't just way. need a passport. You need uh, arrival permission. Otherwise, you're not getting into the, to the, 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 anywhere near the premises. He talks about me living. I don't live in a gated community. I have a fence. I don't live in a gated community. Wilbon, yeah, you better present credentials. Yeah, seriously. Absolutely. They got armed Absolutely. guards there. You know, nobody's kidding around. All right, let me that get is to, true. Let me get to some of these games. Uh, Philadelphia 
Uh, I sat on the PTI set the day the trade was made, and I said, that's it. Philadelphia's going to be in the NBA Finals. James Harden is going to be the best guard in the league, as he was last year, as he was earlier this year. Uh, I'm wrong. If Embiid is out for Game 3 as well, this is over, right? This is over. It might be over anyway. I do think, as we sit here on Friday morning, I do think Embiid is going to try to play, although I have learned... Do not assume stuff with concussion recovery. And that's really, yeah. I think, what's holding him back right now is concussion recovery. Um, <clears throat> Miami is very good, although they haven't been great in this series because they haven't had their lead guard. Uh, but Kyle Lowry should be back tonight. Um, you know, Tony, the big, this is such a basic stat in this world of advanced stats. Harden can't get shots up. <laughs> no. Um, you know, and just for frame of reference, in 2019-20, the last year before the pandemic year, so a while ago, but not a decade ago, Harden averaged 23 shots a game. Averaged. It was not unusual to see Harden put up 23 pointers in a game. And let me just say that when you get fouled on a shot, it doesn't count as a shot in the, in the stat book. So when you would see Harden have a 24-shot night, it meant they probably put up about 30 or 30-plus shots. When he was in Brooklyn earlier this season, he averaged 17 shots. So it was down playing with Durant and Kyrie, but still he got up you know, a lot of shots. He is averaging 13 shots with the Sixers, and in this series without Durant, 13 shots. Without Embiid. Can't, I'm sorry, without Embiid. Embiid, yeah. He just can't get shots up. And that is an indication he can't get separation. He can't get open. And it, it, he just doesn't have the explosion and the burst and the separation that he had. And as a result, Tony, if you had gone to that game in Miami and you knew basketball but you didn't know the NBA, you would have watched the game and said, boy, this guy, Maxi is is their best guard. He is young and great. They should build around him. What do you think about number one there with the beard? Oh, good veteran, table setter, probably a valuable guy to have on your roster as a, as a veteran table-setting leader. And then if you said, well, actually, that guy is, is making $44 million and he's hoping to get two fifty, <laughs> the guy yeah, would say, well, you're out of your freaking mind. We can't continue this conversation. But that's right. the reality. He is now that type yeah. of player. Overnight. Simply overnight. Amazing. All right, we'll shift to another series um, where Wilbon, you know, had great fears for the Phoenix Suns. It's going to go at least six, probably go seven. I said it's a five-game series. Kendrick Perkins on TV said it was a four-game series, and he would have picked three if he could have. <laughs> that series is over. They got, Dallas has one player. That's all they got, right? One player. That's, that series is over. Well, there's moments where they have, you know, Jalen Brunson comes alive, but Tony, I've, this, this Phoenix team, I've spent a lot of time around them this year. They remind me of the 2014 Spurs, the year after they blew that series to the heat. And yeah. I remember being with the Spurs in training camp that year, and I thought that they wouldn't want to talk about the previous season, but they actually wanted to talk about it a lot. And it bothered them and drove them. And I'm not saying that the Suns are, like, bothered, that intensely by last year's finals. But they came this year with such a focus 
And I was there when the Sarver stuff came down, and it obviously upset them. But they were—they basically had a team understanding that we are not going to let this derail us as this season is too important. And from the moment that Chris Paul wakes up on game day, from what I can tell, he's thinking about the fourth quarter. And when the fourth quarter starts, he's always sitting on the last seat on the bench, and he's wrapped up in towels, and he's drinking some sort of drink who knows what's in it and he's like a boxer coming out of the corner for the 12th round he unwraps himself and he throws his shoulders back and he drinks that thing and he strides down to the huddle um and he just sets the whole thing up to be dominant in the fourth quarter he conserves his energy throughout the game and they're doing the exact inverse on luca they run luca around in circles in the first and second quarters because they're thinking about the fourth quarter and their, their calibration and their strategy and their focus is on a different level. And in two years, maybe Chris Paul just can't do it anymore. And Luca will be in better condition and learn how to play defense. And it'll be laughable if they play in two years. But today, right now you have a team with a master's degree against a college sophomore and it shows. Yeah. Um, I'm not even going to deal with the Boston-Milwaukee series now because that is the one that I don't really know how it's going to go. And I want to get to Golden State, a team that I think will win handily both games at home, but I could be wrong about that. But let's get to the Steve Kerr issue. Steve Kerr went out there, and he said of Dylan Brooks, he broke the code. This is a very risky position for a coach to take, even Steve Kerr, even a guy who's an Olympic coach. It's a very risky position to take because you're accusing another player of deliberately trying to maim somebody, even though it's your player got hurt. Risky. And a lot of guys... Uh, Jalen Rose, for example, went, oh, he didn't try to break the code. But Kendrick Perkins said he did try to break the code. What did you think of it? And what do you think about what I think is a laughably small suspension of just one game when the other guy's out? He's not coming back. Yeah. Yeah, so not only that, it's an important player. Not that it really should matter how important the player is. I mean, I don't know about the whole breaking the code. I mean, I've seen video of... Bill Lambeer shoving Larry Bird in the yeah. back while he's, I mean, that is to me, you know, he, he hit him very hard in the head in the middle of, of a, of a high intensity playoff series. I, I don't think that he intended to injure him like that. He did intend to knock him over. And if intending to knock him over is breaking the code, then I guess that's what it is. I guess every person has a different, um, uh, uh, interpretation. I would say this in 2022, that's about as egregious of a foul as you're going to see. So by today's standard, it is suspension worthy. Um, the league has a history of, of taking into effect this, the severity of the injury in a suspension and considering the playoff series and the stakes, if it had been two games, I don't think it would have been an egregious situation where people would have been uh, horrified, and the league took a day and a half for almost two days on it. I mean, it was all, it was pretty clear once we heard that his elbow, that Gary Payton's elbow was broken, that it was going to be a suspension. Um, the real surprising thing is that they took two and a half days and then only suspended them one game. So, um, I agree with you about Golden State. Uh, they shot seven of thirty-eight from three-point range in Game Two. Seven of thirty-eight. Clay Thompson was 2 of 12. I realize he's not in his prime at this point, but 2 of 12, and they lost that game by 5 on the road, having the worst yep. shooting game like the Splash Brothers era. 
So I do think that bodes well that the Warriors are going to shoot better. I also don't think that the Grizzlies play the level of smart. I don't want to call They just don't play smart basketball very often for a team that's got to win three more. But I do think that losing Peyton hurts them. Yes, because, primary uh, defender. Yeah, and also their quote-unquote death lineup where they play the three guards together, which everybody loves to see because they just run and gun. Memphis is trouncing it. They can't play that lineup. So Steve Kerr has got to have done some coaching here in these couple of days off because he's going to have to have some different strategies to, you know, coming out. So just my overall view, and I sit with Wilbon five days a week, and you know how much he loves the NBA, and he goes on and on about it. it's the deepest NBA of all time. One through eight, maybe one through ten. No surprises. No, if ten wins, no surprise. They beat one. It's not a surprise because everybody's that good. So what happens is one, two, three, and four all win, and now it looks like <laughs> one, one, two, two, or one, one, yeah. two, three. So what about that? Well, I would say two things. The New Orleans Pelicans, as the nine seed that won their way in, gave the Suns a lot of problems. Um, and, you know, that was an interesting series that was not really a 1-8 series, but in the end it was a six-game series. Um, the, 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 the Bucks celtics series, which is the series I'm covering, I was in Boston the first two, I'm going to Milwaukee tomorrow. That's the most interesting one. It is. Those two teams both are championship-level teams. Um, that could be a champion, uh, and, and uh, regardless of Phoenix and regardless of Golden State. So all four of those teams in different years would have been the standalone breakaway champion. But it still could go chalk. Yeah. Um, you know, Boston could still win. Uh, and so I think that is, you know, that is something that is worth pointing out, that these series are competitive. And I think both of those series, Golden State, Memphis, and um, definitely, I think Boston, Milwaukee's got a real chance to go seven and be an absolute slugfest and be like, wow, how is this a conference semifinal? I do think that there is some truth to that. Um, I've never seen a defense that's quite like the Celtics defense. They are rough and tough and disciplined, and they held Durant to 38% shooting, and five turnovers a game the last round and flustered him two games into this series. Granted, uh, Giannis had a great playmaking game in game one. He had 12 assists, and it was impressive, but he still was 9 of 25. He's shooting 38% and averaging five turnovers, and it is really remarkable to watch the Celtics play defense. They could get the title this year for sure. That would be nice because they don't have superstars, and they're not – and anybody who's not Brooklyn, it would be nice if they won, to me. All right, enjoy your haircut. Thank you so much for being on early in the morning. Thanks, Brian. Thank you, Tony. I hope you uh, leave me the gate code for when I come to see you. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Windhorst, boys and girls. We'll come back. Andy Byer will join us when we return. Talk about the Kentucky Derby. I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Jesse Rubin. This is called the first day of summer. And I should tell people that Jesse Rubin is headlining Ram's Head on stage in Annapolis on May 12th. So if you got no plans for May 12th, which is next week. Yeah, I think that's next Wednesday, correct? Yeah, Ram's Head on stage in Annapolis. And apparently Jesse, according to Hallie, is a huge fan of PTI. That's nice. 
Nice to know. So I'm glad we're playing his music. And Michael, if people like Jesse Rubin want to allow us to play their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. This is what everybody waits for around Kentucky Derby time, Andy Byers' appearance. Um, I'm so happy to have Andy. And eventually we will ask Andy who he thinks will win the race. But let's start with probably the best overall sports story in the Derby, and that is the banning of Bob Baffert. He's not allowed in the in the track. He's persona non grata at Churchill Downs, the most famous track in the United States of America for the most famous race that he's won a number of times. Andy, do you agree with the banning of Bob Baffert? Somewhat. This is this is a very nuanced story, Tony, because Baffert has been portrayed as kind of like the, you know, the. Uh, uh, you know the arch fiend of, of racing, yeah. as you yep. know, uh, you know uh, like a despicable cheater. I mean, the fact is that you know we have seen even in, in, in recent years other other high profile trainers who were just like cheating so flagrantly with drugs uh, that. There, there was no mystery about it, and 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 two of them, uh, you know, were investigated and sent to, and uh, convicted and uh, sentenced to prison, and uh, um, uh, you know, and and were essentially running a part of a criminal enterprise to to uh, you know to manufacture and mislabel and distribute, you know. You know, high high powered performance enhancing drugs. Baffert is no, has never done anything like that. His his infractions, and he's gotten a, a, a lot of them, are the type that trainers kind of get a fair amount of the time. They use a they use a legal medication. They use it too close to the race. The horse tests positive. And uh, and they get a suspension, but this is you know this is not uh, uh, you know not a class one felony. The trouble with Baffert is that he's done this so much. He's he's always you know tried uh, you know it seems to cut corners and and uh, you know and uh, you know and break the rules just a little bit. And plus, he has so many connections within the industry that he's got enablers who have, uh, you know, help, helped him kind of sweep his own infractions under the rug. And uh, uh, so when 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 one of his, you know, when the Derby winner last year tested positive uh, for, you know, what was. Uh, again, uh, you know, a substance that uh, you know w- would not be classified as uh, uh, rocket fuel. I mean, Churchill decided to, th- I think, properly to throw the book at him. I mean, they've got a, you know, the Derby's the most important race in America. All eyes were on this, and they, uh, you know, and they they had to they had to protect their. Pr- you know their, you know their prime product, and and convince the public that uh, that they were really doing something, uh, uh, you know, in, in the interest of mm-hmm. you know of, of the integrity of the game. So they threw the book at them, and you know whether it was merited or not, I 
we, we can debate all day, but, uh, uh, you know, Baffert has, you know, Baffert just can't say, okay, I did it, I made a mistake, I'm sorry, we're moving on with it. They're, they're, he's always trying to wriggle out of it, you know, call lawyers, and so it, it's not, it, it, he hasn't uh, ennobled himself during yeah. all of this. No, I, so this speaks to the point that Pat Forty made the other day on this show. And Pat was a columnist at the Louisville Courier-Journal for a million years. I mean, this is Pat's race, he understands it. He said they threw the book at Baffert because Baffert, you know, insulted them and disgraced them, and they'd been waiting a long time for this. Because he's and Pat said he's always fooling around with lawyers. My question to him is the same question that I have to you: Bob Baffert's one of the greatest trainers of all time. I am surprised this punishment held up. I'm surprised that it went this long. Are you? Well, Churchill had it was on. Uh pretty solid grounds, I guess, by, uh, you know, with the right of exclude, the right to exclude unwanted people from private property. That would, that, you know, that underlay the, the ban and the, and, and, yep. you know, the, you know, when Baffert got caught fair and square with the medication violation, the racing commission, uh, uh, you know, Im- imposed a, a penalty. So, you know, they they had them, and uh, you know, you just uh, I guess the the you know the 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 lesson is uh, this: don't mess with the Kentucky Derby. I yeah, mean, well, that's this what, is the that's most what Pat important said. thing in the sport. Pat said it's like the the Masters is. You, yeah. you just it's it's the biggest thing, and you don't do it. Let me get to this. Baffert has, you know, there's nothing in the rules that says Baffert can't. He's got two horses. These are his horses. Messier and Tabor are his horses. There's nothing in the rules that says he cannot have conversations with or advise the person who's training these horses. His name is Tim Yakteen. We talked about this the other day on this show and on PTI. Tim Yakteen, who at one point worked for Bob Baffert. Yakteen says they've had no conversation at all. And as I said on the air yesterday, you can believe that if you want to. Do you think that that Baffert is involved? I am told uh, by my friend Jay Prifman, who is an ace reporter for the Racing Forum, that the answer is no. He, yeah, I, I, I suspected Baffert, you know, uh, lurking in the wings, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but he said that the that the racing officials in Kentucky made it clear to the owners uh, and to to everyone if there were any contact between Baffert and the person training uh, training for him, then the horse would be out, <laughs> the substitute trainer mm-hmm. would be out. I, I think they're watching him uh, uh, with uh, uh, with a great deal of. Uh, 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 you know, concern for what he might be doing. So uh, I think this is, uh, if, if Jay is correct and he is an ace reporter, that, you know, they're, uh, uh, you, you know, Baffert is playing it straight this time. Well, the only thing that I would say about that is that it, the exercise rider and the groom, they're Baffert's guys. Yeah. He could be talking to them. It could be surreptitious. I mean, I don't know. This is, these are, these horses are worth many millions of dollars. You win the Kentucky yep. Derby; it's a big deal. Do you do you believe that there's no influence whatsoever? I, 
Look, I'm a suspicious guy. I, from <laughs> the outset, I, I suspected, uh, uh, you know, that that he he had to be, you know, standing in the corner of the barn, you know, yeah. kind of whispering instructions. And uh, 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 again, I, you know, Jay, my my friend Jay is on yep. is really on top of this out there, and he he said. Uh, they're playing it straight this time, so I'll believe that. It's a very cool story. It gives the Derby yeah. a lot of added interest, and it, it makes people respond to it in ways that yeah. they don't use. And, and the thing is, the, the, the thing that's you know tough for a fan. Baffert is not a bad guy. He, he's oh, some, nice you know, guy. He, you know, he he's charming. He's smart. I love you know. Always loved to uh, talk to him, to interview him. I mean, he. I I, I think he is. Uh, I think I I'd rate him the you know the best trainer I've ever seen. So you know you you know he's he's entitled to excel. Yeah. So yeah. No, I get this. I mean, I've met him a number of times. Like him a lot. My friend David Israel's David's wife, Lindy, went to school with him at Arizona. They're really close pals. Uh, They're close pals. Uh, let's get to this year's Derby. Is it a good field? Do you have any idea? It's so early. Three year olds. Who knows? But is it a good field? And I needed to ask you about a horse called Crown Pride that trains uh, in a sort of an odd way that you know does dressage work as well as sprints, and and he's about a hundred to one. But go ahead. I think it, you know, I think it's a, it will prove to be a good field when we have some hindsight on these horses. One of the things that's difficult nowadays in judging horses in the Derby is that they run so sparingly. Uh, you know, back in the old days, like carry back in 1961, you came into the Derby, he'd run like 20 or 25 times. Now the, the, the fashion is to just bring horses into the race, you know, with light, with, with light training or, or at least, you know, kind of very restrained schedules. The average horse uh, in this field has, has made five career starts and you just can't judge them. I mean, I, I you know, I, I I, you know, I look at horses' records uh, uh, in this field and I uh, say, well, I think this horse is good, but I haven't seen him do X. I haven't seen him do Y. It's, you know, I, 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 I can't make a, a, mm-hmm. a definitive judgment about most of them, but I think, uh, I think, you know, come November, we'll look back and say, hey, this was a pretty good bunch. No, I put you on the spot. Even though you can't make a definitive judgment, I know you like to watch <laughs> horse races with a couple of bucks down. Who do you like? Who do you like well, to win? For, well, first of all, Tony, you should have introduced me um, uh, by saying that uh, after a, a, a drought of several decades, yeah, I won. did pick the winner last yep. year. Yes, you did. But Medina Spirit, who paid $21. Now, the, the chance... Uh, Based on my history, the chances of my picking, you know, a twenty dollar winner two years in a row is probably infinitesimal. Yeah. But um, I like a ten to one shot uh, in this race by the name of White Abario, A B A R R I O. Uh, he's just gotten lost in the shuffle uh, in the pre-derby discussions, but I thought when when he he ran in Florida this winter, and his race uh, in the Holy Bull Stakes at Gulfstream was a, as good as any uh, as any prep race that any of these horses have 
uh, run. I mean, the, 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 the horses who finished second and third behind him that day uh, both came back to win major prep races. Um, he, uh, uh, his, his buyer speed figure was a little low that day, but it was kind of a tricky day, I think, from the speed figure standpoint. He's on a par with everybody else, I, uh, with, with all the other top contenders. I, I think part of the reason he's been ignored is you've got so many so many big shot stables in this race. Uh, I mean, Todd Pletcher, I mean, the uh, uh, Steve Asmussen, Chad Brown, these are the leaders of the sport. And of course, you've got the, you know, the Baffert or ex-Baffert horses. And, and uh, uh, why did Barney was trained by a uh, a guy named Safi Joseph Jr., uh, who's, who was kind of a who was a Bahamian, uh, who's who had done very well at Gulfstream, uh, uh, and he does beat the big guns down there, but he doesn't have a big national reputation. So I think that's kind of contributed to his obscurity. But I just feel that uh, White Barrio is. Uh, you know, is, is as good as anybody, and at uh, 10 to 1, I will go for two in a row. We hope you win, Andy. We'll talk to you before the Preakness. Thank you. Okay, bye, Tony. Andy Beyer, he's the king of this. Like, nobody knows more. Some may know as much. Nobody knows more about horse racing than Andy Beyer. Nobody in the world. No, nobody. and when he referenced the Beyer speed figure? Yeah, it's his. It's, <laughs> his, it's the Beyer speed figure. It's not the Nigel speed figure. It's not the Wilbon speed. It's the buyer speed figure. We'll take a break. Come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. I love that. I wish I could do that. I would like to just sit alone in a room of about six or seven people at the end of the evening and do that. That's right. Bruce Griffin. It's just great. Isn't that great? I was thinking of Mitch the whole time when that was going on. I just, just wish I had that wonderful. skill. Do you have the Bethesda Bagels ad? I do. Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. And can I just take a second? Please do. To congratulate... Uh, the Marist War Eagles, and specifically Mary Margaret Flig, a young freshman, just turned 16 on Monday, scored the winning goal to give his soccer team the Georgia State Championship. Wonderful. And it was from way deep. It was like 30, 40 yards. Mary out. Margaret. Mary Love Margaret. Love it. Yes. Love it. That's it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. There are two main characters in Chariots of Fire there's the guy who runs the 100, Harold Abrahams, and the guy who runs the 400. He's going to run another race, too, but he can't because it's on the Sabbath and he cannot run. And the one he runs, 
he runs and runs great. And I have forgotten his name. Eric Little. Eric Little. Just such a great movie. Thanks to our guests today, Andy Beyer, Brian Winhorst. Thanks to today's sponsors, Progressive, ZipRecruiter, Solo Stove. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. Ketchup. Someone was asking about my brisket. Ketchup. Is that a little that squirt, little squirt into, the, into the braising liquid before you cover it, put it in the oven? Ketchup. From George Angel nice. in Baltimore. Catching up on the week's podcast, I was delighted to hear that Sam Angel of Silver Spring, formerly of Drexel, frequents the Soviet Safeway to buy cottage cheese for his three-year-old daughter. Sam, the person to whom I'm related by paternity, sometimes drops the little girl off at our place in Baltimore for a visit and some free babysitting. It was on such an occasion several months ago that her grandmother offered her a cottage cheese snack. Never having tasted the stuff, she was a little skeptical, but gave took a taste, smiled broadly, and wolfed down a full bowl. She even asked for a refill. After she'd polished it off, a look of puzzlement came across her face. Grandma, she said, where's the cottage? <laughs> Apparently it was self-evident to her that something called cottage cheese must have a toy cottage hidden in it. <laughs> have to admit, the incident has changed the experience of cottage cheese for me. I still enjoy it, but always with a tinge of regret that no cottage, or as you would say, little house, is left in the dish after the large curd goodness is all gone. <laughs> I'll reach out to Sam about that free Fathers babysitting. Fathers and sons. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. From Jeff Martin in Voorheesville, New York. Who eats cottage cheese with a fork? Get a spoon. I eat it with a fork. That's Stand the way over you do the it. Sink and I eat it with a fork. From Ben Champa in Capitol Hill. In college, I used to eat cottage cheese by dipping Cool Ranch Doritos into it and then using it like a dip. Then once the chips were gone, I would eat the now Cool Ranch flavored cottage cheese. It was fantastic. The folks at Lucerne can have that one for free. <laughs> From Brandon Costello, our friend in Lexington, Kentucky. I recently started going to the chiropractor. It turns out my pelvis has shifted and my left leg is an inch short. Got a big knot middle back that aches and wraps around my right side, but no real structural damage. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for that update, and we wish you good health. Yes, we do. Uh, from Scott in Falls Church, Virginia. This gout is killing me. Well, <laughs> we need to wish you good health yeah, as well. Yeah, that's a tough one. From Paul Simon. Not that Paul Simon. As the unofficial Atlanta-based divorced attorney for the pod, I feel compelled to answer the question, are pretzels grounds for divorce? While not at all making any representation as to the likely outcome of this particular circumstance. Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> also grounds for treason. From Andrew Milmo in Denver, Colorado, Drew Goodman, the Rockies play-by-play -play announcer, proclaimed himself a little on air during the Phillies game Tuesday night. He was told it's National Pretzel Day, and he said he learned as much listening to the Tony Kornheiser show. I suppose he is a medium. This is fantastic. Isn't that great? Drew Goodman. I'm We're so going great. around the league. You know, <laughs> we are spreading. Yes. We are a fungus, I'm afraid. Joe Rizzo in Oak Hill, Virginia. Kirkchin never ceases to amaze. During last Wednesday's pod, he started off by saying he's terrible at baseball trivia, then proceeds to match every answer with his own bit of trivia, which was more obscure than the original question. <laughs> Other than Tim, who else on this planet knows that three games Gidry lost in 1978 were against pitchers named Mike? Yeah, phenomenal. It's another story about Ron Gidry from Travis in South Weber or South Weber, Utah. I think it's probably Weber because of Weber State. Yeah. I grew up most of my life in South Louisiana. Around the mid to late 90s, my dad was competing in rec softball tournaments. At one of those many tournaments, me and my dad were standing around near a concession stand, and my dad hands me a ball, points at a man, and says, you should go and ask that man for an autograph. I looked at the man, and then back at my dad, puzzled. My dad is a lanky 5'10", maybe 145 soaking wet, and this man whose autograph I'm about to request was that, or maybe even less impressive, as my dad. Awkwardly, I walked over to the man whose name I did not know with a ball and ink pen in hand. I asked the man for an autograph, and he turned around, looked me up and down, and said, Sure, kid. He signed the ball. I said a quick thanks and ran off. When I got back 
To my dad, I looked down at the ball and I asked him, who the heck is Ron Guidry? <laughs> so if you don't know what Ron Guidry was doing later on after retirement, he's still playing ball with hometown friends. That is a great story. <laughs> From Malcolm Smith in Carmel, Indiana. The kids are traveling in Western Europe just now. Made sure to report to me that both the hotels they've checked into so far are two bathrobe hotels. They knew I would ask. <laughs> um, from Gus Ribeiro in Albany, New York. On a recent family trip to Disney World, the woman to whom I'm related by merger, booked us for a grossly overpriced dinner in a, lake, a fake castle. Looking over the wine list, she suggested we ordered a Pinot from Willamette Valley. Using a firm and clear voice, I said, it's pronounced Willamette. It rhymes with damn it. It's from Oregon. <laughs> she gave me the most confused and incredulous look and muttered, how did you know about Oregon wines? Professor Tony, thank you very much for making this Disney magic happen for me. And please advise my ex-boss, the notorious Gus in South Glens Falls, to kindly eat it. <laughs> By the way, we recommend wines. We recommend... Uh, Willamette Valley. We recommend Bells Up. Yeah. We recommend Wenslow Vineyards in California. Have you gotten to the note from Dave yet? I have not seen the notes yet. I didn't even know that that, that was I dropped, dropped it off. off when you were playing golf. Uh, from Claire Natola. Dear Mr. Tony, on Monday's show, you joked that Joe Arrow would be a great one to pretend he's never done karaoke and then proceed to <clears> knock it out of the park. Coincidentally, I just arranged for a bunch of littles to meet up on Saturday, May 14th in Pasadena, Maryland, to attend a karaoke night that Joe Arrow is hosting. All littles are welcome to join us starting at 9 p.m. at the Time Out Bar and Grill at 7774 Outing Avenue. Joe kills it, but I stink, so talent is not required. In fact, singing itself is not required. Just come hang out with us. Reach out to Joe or call me, Cool Aunt Claire, via social media with any questions. P.S. I had a great first date a couple of weeks ago with a guy I met through the Bumble dating app. However, when we left the restaurant, I saw he was driving a Subaru. I'm still looking. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. And one more from Carla Corrado, who we love dearly in Columbus, Ohio. Mr. Tony, I miss our email jihads. <laughs> so do I. So do I. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. What a waste of time. God. <laughs> So many questions and places to go There are too many options, far too many unknowns This is why I need you And everyone talks now, but no one is right There are too many armies with no one to fight this is why I need you Cause you make the darkness less dark You make the edges less sharp You make the winter feel warmer And you make my weakness less weak You make the bottom less deep You make the waiting feel shorter you make my crazy feel normal every time You are the who, love is the what, and this is the why
Yeah.